Now, with that said, we're jumping back into this sort of last go-round in the book of Philippians, and we're looking at this key theme that Paul gives us in Philippians. We, we sort of launched a series out of a series, you might say, about what it means to have a rhythm in our life where we understand what it means to follow Jesus. And the key in this is in sort of very, very pertinent to what we're talking about today, is that Paul gives us this very strong command in the third chapter of Ephesians to, to fix our eyes on the people that are following Jesus. In other words, if we want a good example of what it means to know Jesus and grow in him and love him well, he actually tells us we should have people in our lives that we are actually doing that with. We are engaging with them to the degree that we can see how they follow Jesus. And in a reciprocal way, they are seeing how we follow Jesus. All of this is designed so that we can exhort each other and encourage each other into a deeper level of love and relationship with Jesus Christ and consequently with each other, which is the side of that relationship we have been focusing on these past couple of weeks. We're talking about today, again, what it means to live in the good soil what it means to actually have a presence of God in your life in a way that sets you up to have a meaningful relationship with him and others in your life. And we're talking about this idea of what it means to value one another, what it means to actually care about Jesus enough in your own life and to be shaped by his love so deeply that it causes you to, to apply the same type of love and care for other people. It's really a two-way street. It's not just our, re our reception of who Jesus is and what he provides for us, fixed identity, grace, goodness, truth, love, and care. That's certainly super important. But just as important is the, is the question of whether or not we're actually applying that rhythm to other people. Do we have the same patience, love, grace, truth, and desire to care for those that Jesus has for us and the lives of those that he has put in our lives? So I'll open this morning by telling you a true story. Last month, I had a bit of a harrowing experience in my neighborhood. My family and I were walking in our neighborhood. We do this pretty regularly. Uh, we were about to cross the street. And this scene is usually reminiscent of a National Geographic documentary about ducks. I have three children, and the way that it looks is we're, we're sort of trailing across the street in, a, in a, a, a single file line. Mom and dad lead the pack, and the kids are following in a single file. And that's for a number of reasons. As our kids have gotten older, we have had to teach them how to cross the street. And this is going to be a very important fact based on what I'm going to share with you today. So normally, in, in most circles, crossing the street is an uneventful event, and usually it is the same for us. But this day, this was not the reality because of the unfortunate reality that in our neighborhood, cars drive very, very, very quickly down the street. Like, I am fully that guy now who stands in my yard and wants to throw pine cones at cars when they drive by driving too quickly because there are just like... There are lots of kids in our neighborhood all over the place. And so this day, we had a run-in with one of those... Really, I would almost call them reckless drivers. And so we were crossing the street, and what happened was upon arriving to the other side of the street, I do what I always do. I turned around to make sure my pack was on the concrete with us, and it had turned out that everybody was except for my youngest daughter, Adelaide, who was trailing just a few feet behind everybody. She was trailing's probably too strong of a word, but in this situation, it was a very strong word because what happened was she was almost to the sidewalk when I noticed a car driving very fast down the road. I mean, narrowly miss her. She basically hit the concrete and this car was right there driving very quickly. And what happened next was interesting because the guy, I guess at this point, he didn't really feel the need to slow down when people were driving in the street or recognizing the danger of doing this in the neighborhood. But he actually did uh, make a good faith attempt to slow down at that moment, stop his car uh, to give me a really nasty look out of the window. He had his hands up in the air and he was kind of flailing them around, which was ironic to me because I thought, well, if anybody should be frustrated here, it should be maybe us since you've 
just almost ran my whole family over. But this was not the case with him. He was the one uh, obviously driving pretty recklessly. And making things worse, I immediately kind of sized up the situation and looked at the guy and found that pine cone. Oh, I wish I would have done that. But he was flailing his hands around, and in his right hand, he had a cell phone, right, just like this. And so I put two and two together, and it was pretty clear to me that what had happened was as he was driving very fast down the side street in our neighborhood, looking at his phone, and he narrowly missed running a, a family over, of which my daughter was the, the tail end of that. And when I saw his phone in his hand, the whole thing made sense to me. I empathized with his frustration because I realized then it was really us who, who were at fault. You know, we were selfishly letting our lives, our existence on earth, uh, get in the way of this guy breaking a Candy Crush record on his iPhone while he was doing 50 miles an hour down the street. But at that point, I really wanted to say something to him, but I could not because as quickly as he locked up the brakes and flailed around with his hands, he just sped up again like nothing had ever happened. I mean, it was crazy that coming that close to almost hitting a human, he didn't really see the need to not drive that way anymore. And so immediately I let that go and turned my attention to my daughter so we could revisit how to cross the street. This is a parenting lesson that we have regularly due to drivers like this. And I felt it necessary to tell her there, there was, even though this wasn't truly her fault, there was still a bit of a consequence that I had to apply there. I let her know that until she could learn to like be right up on our tails crossing the street, she was going to have to hold our hands when we crossed the street for a season longer. In other words, I didn't want her lagging behind um, to create a problem with a vehicle, you know, potentially hitting her, even though in this situation, she really had nothing, there was no fault in her life. But I knew the point of my story here is I knew addressing this with her was risky because my daughter, out of all of my kids, is the most independent of all of them. She really is sort of like a free spirit. And I have learned over the years, the seven I've had with her on Earth, that she does not necessarily like to be told what to do ever. And as you know, as parents, there are times when we have to tell them what to do. And sometimes she will flail around and, uh, you know, disagree. Sometimes she will obey. Sometimes in situations like this, um, I, I, you know, we'll reason with her and try to explain things. But in a moment like this, there's really no explanation. This is just one of those things where you have to do what we say until you can recognize the danger of what just happened. So as her father, I have really two options in this moment. And these are the two options that sort of define every meaningful relationship we have in life when it comes to this concept of speaking truth to each other. You know, I can say nothing to her because I know in this situation that it is very likely, at least for a season, that she is going to be a little bit mad at me and might even have her feelings hurt and it might even hurt our relationship for a season. When I tell her that I am taking the freedom away from her, when I'm speaking a truth to her, it creates a high risk zone for her to be unhappy with me. That's, that's one side of the fence. And I can say, well, because of that, I'm just not going to say anything and hope life works out. Or I can realize that not speaking into her life at this moment in this particular matter is guaranteed to hurt our relationship for a very logical reason, because it greatly increases her chances of getting hit by a reckless driver like that in the future. Those cars drive by my house all day long like that, and they are likely not going to go away. So she has got to be equipped mentally to recognize that and make good decisions in her life because of that. So the bottom line here is having a conversation like this with her or with someone you love isn't always easy. But oftentimes it is necessary. And I'm going to tell you this. If you have relationships in your life that you believe or claim are meaningful, but you don't ever have these types of conversations with people. I'm not saying, you know, there's another side to this, which we really won't get into today. Maybe, maybe the, that series of the sermon I gave on moralism, legalism, and spiritualism sort of addresses this. If you live in a world where all you are doing is essentially having hard conversations with people and pointing out stuff, it is very likely that there, there's probably an imbalance in your heart and how you understand truth and grace in your life. That's probably an abuse. But I would also say if you live in a world where 
you never have these types of conversations with people or you farm them out to people, it's very likely that there is also an abuse there. Because in Ephesians, we learn pretty explicitly, connecting this to the parable of the soils, there's a very high value that God places on knowing his truth and sharing it with each other, whether you are in Jesus or not in Jesus, in love. That is a requirement for the Christian life. And so here I run into this interesting dilemma where I know I have to say something that's a little difficult, but it's difficult for the right reasons. And it's done genuinely with a motive of love, care, and protection. And I think in a story like this, or when, it, when we talk about speaking truth to each other, we sort of have to see the forest from the trees with this. This really is an act of love, but it's not necessarily felt like, or it doesn't feel like an act of love to the person that we're sharing it with, or maybe even having it shared with from. There are times when our, our spiritual radar in the Christian faith can be a little bit skewed. However, this principle is very true when, it, when we talk about what it means to speak truth to each other in love. Even if the love can't be seen or felt in the moment, there is a, a driving reality of why we want to kind of perpetually keep raising this with somebody we care about so that they learn a truth that helps to shape their life in a positive way. And in the case of our series and our sermon today, in a way that helps them to grow more deeply in their love for Jesus and others. The same principle is true when it comes to how we love, value, and treat our brothers and sisters in Jesus and a church family and those who are very far from God who have yet to be in a church family. And so today we're continuing to study this last section of Philippians under this umbrella idea of what it means to live in God's good soil. And the focus of our talk today is a continuation from the last. If you were not here this week, this, this sermon will make sense to you, but I promise it will make more sense if you can connect these two truths. So I'd encourage you to go back and listen to that because it's sort of a foundation for where we're going today. There's a continuation from last week's message about how God's people are an integral part of how we live and stay in God's good soil. It is one of the tools, us for each other, that God has given us to know and grow in. Now, in a literal way, one of the ways that we remain in God's good soil and grow in Jesus is by being deeply rooted in what we call these local bodies of, the, of, of church restoration would be the name of a church family, much like if you were reading your New Testament, uh, the Galatian church, the Ephesian church, what we're looking at today, the Philippian church, these are all names of, of local churches. And so from the very inception of faith, Christianity as we understand it today, what you see is God has always set us apart in his grace to be in community with other people. And it is my earnest prayer that after our message today, no matter how you have entered this room understanding this, or if you're dealing with people in your life in the unbelieving world who have no value for the church family or what is becoming a growing sentiment in the Christian world today, Christians who love Jesus but have no value for his church family, it is my desire that you will be encouraged and equipped to understand why having an incredibly high view of the role the people of God play in your life, why that's just so important. Because God has made it this way. Whether or not we hear that truth to the point where we live by it is another story. This is sort of where the the crux of what we'll talk about today begins. I only have one truth I want to share with you today. And it leads me to the, this first key idea, that if you want to live in God's good soil, and my assumption here each week as you do, is that you must be the type of person who values others in your life, deeply values others in your life. You have to have a love and a care and a compassion for people in the way that Jesus has for you. And in Ephesians 4.15, I'll reread what was read to us a moment ago. Paul tells us this. He says, instead, speaking the truth in love, we will in all things grow up into him who is the head, that is Christ. So here Paul deeply connects growing up into Jesus, living in good soil, 
following others as Paul follows people who are following Jesus. Right here, Paul tells us that there's sort of an equation. That one of the ways we grow into Jesus, the head, we grow into his stature and his image. And we have his compassion and his love and his care and his selflessness and his sacrificial nature. One of the ways that we do that is by speaking these truths to each other on a regular basis. In love. I think so. (laughs) Now, for my entire message this morning, I want to look at two relational rhythms that will help us live in God's soil with each other. They help us to be the kind of Christian and church family that practice a a common lifestyle of truth and grace with each other. And that is a bedrock of what we are trying to be here. A family that values truth and grace. We don't neuter God's truth at the expense of grace, but we recognize that one of the greatest ways we can show the grace of God to the world is by, in in ways that, that show deep compassion to others, is by sharing God's truth with people. Letting them know how much they matter to God. How much God desires to be in relationship with them. How much God, based on what we'll celebrate here today with the communion table, God has died so that we can know him. So that we can be in community with him and each other. Those are graces we want the world to know. But those graces are connected to truth. In other words, we have a grace because there is a truth. The truth of who Jesus is. And the two rhythms I want to talk about this morning, they represent a deep understanding of the gospel. They represent a deep understanding of the good soil of Jesus Christ in your heart. Valuing and living in light of them truly puts you on a good soil God can grow himself in, in our own lives. Key statement here. God desires to grow himself in your life and in mine, and he desires to use us to help others grow in the same soil. He doesn't just want to work in our lives. He wants to use our lives also to work in the lives of others. And so these two rhythms really give us a a seesaw that we want to try to balance today an economy, if you will, of scale, that we want to say these two things need to be present in our life if we really are valuing other people. In other words, if you're valuing other people, these rhythms will be present. And the first mark is this. A mark that you value others in your life is when you personally pursue God's truth in your own life. We start here. Before we even get to speaking the truth in love to other people, it is critical to know that valuing others only begins by valuing yourself first. If you're going to value somebody else in Jesus... You have to value yourself in Jesus. You have to understand what it means to be valued in your own heart by Christ. And I cannot emphasize how critical grasping this statement is this morning in the depths of your heart. Because without doubt, this truth is the foundation of everything we're going to talk about. And here's why. Let me give you some reasons. Attempting to live in and lead others to God's good soil is impossible if we try to do it disconnected from God's truth in our own life. The question then becomes, what, what are we leading people to if we actually don't have his truth in our own hearts, or at least we're striving to know it and grow in it in very imperfect ways. The whole premise of living in God's good soil is learning to live your life in such a way that your life becomes more like Christ. It's learning to ask yourself in your everyday life a couple of key questions, or a handful of key questions. Do you value what Jesus values? Do you see yourself like Jesus sees you? And do you see and value other people in your life like Jesus sees and values them? Oh, I open our message this morning with this truth because in the Christian faith, our ultimate desire should be to know, become like, experience, and help others know and grow and experience Jesus. It's, it's two sides of the same coin. As our fervor and passion to live in the grace and truth of Jesus Christ grows in our own hearts, it is sort of like a guaranteed reality that you will desire to see other people grow in God's grace in the same way. And those are always the most encouraging stories I hear from you. It's when your passion for Jesus begins to shape how you compassionately love and care for other people. 
Now, if we abandon this relational commitment, we're going to miss the heart of what it means to be valued by and to value others the way Jesus wants us to. Simply put, you can't value others like Jesus values them if you've not experienced the truth of what it means for Jesus to value you. Simply put, the most meaningful way you can learn to live in and practice the rhythms of how God wants you to treat other people is to spend time with Christ and to let him speak to your heart about how he loves you how he values you according to his truth. And remember, we've already talked about the importance of the scripture in this paradigm. So I'm not going back there today. There are whole messages in this series about how one of the ways we spend time with God and know Jesus is by being in his word. We have addressed that. What I'm telling you today is Paul says, also, when you know that word, you have to be speaking that truth to each other. The emphasis for these weeks now is we have got to be living the word out in ways that, uh, that where we have other people present in our life. It's not enough to just know this stuff. It is imperative that we know and live these truths out with other people. In that sense, you will grow in Jesus and become humble in our challenges to try to grow in Jesus. And this really was the main point Jesus communicated to us in his parable of the good soil. And it makes perfect sense why deeply knowing this matters. And I want to explain. Every day, right now we're talking about truth, right? I am standing up here telling you, at least claiming truth. Every day, we are being confronted with what people say is truth. Every single day, whether you are listening to the radio, a song, talking to a person, reading your Bible, talking to people who are in Jesus, people who are outside of Jesus, turning your television set on, streaming something on Hulu or Netflix, it does not matter. You dial into a podcast, whatever you are listening to, somebody, to some degree, is trying to tell you what a truth is in this world. They are trying to help you understand an idea that deeply matters to them. And in many ways, they're asking you to reorient your life around it. This is one of the hallmarks of the modern world we live in. And the case in point of this is that both last week and this week, I have been speaking to you about what I am claiming is a truth about how to treat other people from a teaching that began in Philippians, migrated into the book of Acts last week, and is now in the book of Ephesians today in Romans, which we'll get to here in a moment. I'm saying to you that I'm telling you something true. And I'm not going to be the only person in your life today who does that. It is likely in a room this size that some of you think what I'm saying is true. I've drank coffee with you and eaten chicken wings and you've trusted me enough to say I believe this is true. Some of you are probably unsure about this. You're saying, man, I've never heard stuff about community and I don't really get this. Like, I love Jesus by myself and that's good enough for me. Maybe you're saying that. And there might even be people in this room who just disagree with this flat out. This might be the first time you've heard a truth like this and you're saying, I don't really get or at this point even believe or affirm what you're saying about the role of God's people in, in my life. That's pretty natural. I don't see that as a bad thing. That's pretty much what's happening every week here. When you leave this place, it's just as likely that you all know people who will feel the same way about what I'm saying. They're going to be in one of those three categories. And it's likely that you know people, at least if you value the mission of Jesus, meaning you care for people who don't know the Lord, that if you have folks like that in your life, it's very likely to say you're around people who, who don't have a burden at all to love people like Jesus did. Because they live their life by a different brand of what they call truth. There is a different value driving how they understand people. At the end of the day, with so many people saying so many things about what they claim is truth to you, that what you should live your life by, we as Christians, and this is not just a Christian issue, I guess you could say every single person today is now confronted with multiple truths about multiple things. But the truth I'm most concerned with, since we are a gathered body of Christians here, is what does it mean to know and grow in Jesus' truth? So this, this causes a common challenge we face. How do we know which voice to listen to? 
which proposed truth to follow, especially when it comes to a, a critical matter like how God wants us to treat each other. How do you know you can trust my voice today? Well, the bottom line is we live in a world that has so many competing truth claims that now more than ever, it is important that we know what the truth really is. Because when it comes to matters like the one we're speaking about today, the ones we have spoken about, the ones we will speak about in the years to come, the one you will speak about this week in your community groups as you're fleshing this stuff out or just in your general relational circles, we always, every single one of us, always has a choice to make when we leave this room or leave the presence of a truth that God is trying to communicate to us. We have a simple question with profound implications that we must answer, ask and answer every time. Will I listen to the voice of Jesus in this matter? Will I listen, in this case, to the voice of Jesus through the Apostle Paul through me this morning? Will I listen to another voice in my life that maybe contradicts the voice of Christ and, and the, those God has put in my life to speak truth to me and me to others? Or will I dial into many voices, which is probably the most preferred thing I see today? It's sort of like by listening to many voices, we conveniently don't have to listen to any voices. That sounds like a Dr. Seuss nursery rhyme, I know, but there's a real truth in that. In embracing everything, we almost embrace nothing. So my encouragement to you this morning is to know that when we speak of our church family, gathered in a room this size, gathered in your groups throughout the week, gathered in your smaller groups as you're hanging out with people, gathered while we're shooting guns and eating red meat this Friday night, whatever it is we're doing, however we're hanging out, however we're, we're representing Jesus with the people of God and those that have yet to be the people of God, my encouragement to you this morning is to know that when we speak of us here and what we want to be known for, it's rooted in us living out Jesus' truth. It's rooted in us knowing and living this stuff out. We want everyone connected to our family and those who have yet to be connected to our family to know that they are deeply valued no matter where they're coming from. And the reason I say that confidently is because God valued you and he valued me no matter where we came from. When he opened his arms to us, he embraced us as we were. And what's even more important about what I'm saying now, or just as important, I should say, is that we want God to view us as a church family he trusts enough to send people to us just as they are. And the same way we were all sent here by his hand. Remember, seven years ago, there was no church here. So God did what God did and brought us all here for this season. And those of us who are on the road and who will be on the road, there is a, a family of people called Restoration in this room and not in this room right now. And God has put us together and loved us no matter where we came from. Part of the way that we earn this trust from God is by being a people personally committed to God's truth who are willing to then point those people in truth and in grace to God's truth once they're in our presence. I had a, a, a very influential pastor years ago say, God loves us as we are, but loves us too much to leave us that way. That's sort of a paraphrase of something we read in Hebrews. And I think that's exactly what I'm getting at here. God deeply cares for us as we are, but through his word and our, and our community wants to help us be much more than we are today. This is so important to know because both Acts and Ephesians show us that these Christians, these believers in these churches, they were committed to knowing, growing, and living their lives according to the teachings of Jesus. They were bound by a common truth, the teachings of the apostles. We spoke about that last week. And if we want to form a value system on how we treat people in our own lives, we must know that anything less than a pursuit to know Jesus' truth about that matter is it best going to create an incomplete understanding of what it means to be in community with each other? In other words, we're going to have a, a skewed understanding of what it means to love your brother and sister in Jesus and your neighbor like Christ does. And at worst, if, if left unchecked, it creates a total disconnect from what God desires. And I want to be very personal here for your life to look like. That's what this means. 
It means our lives start to look like something very contrary to the, the life Jesus has set, up, set us apart for. And so if you want to build each other up in such a way that we all encourage each other in our journey and following Jesus, and this is perhaps the, the most important thing I can say when I talk about this space we're living in for these couple of weeks, where we are and where God wants us to be, is the, the role of, our, of our, our role in other people's lives when it comes to speak truth is never to be like a referee throwing penalty flags, reminding people of what they are not yet in Jesus. This is a common spirit of, of, it's a critical spirit that exists in our world today and many times in the church where we look at people and we say, you're not this yet in Jesus and I'm just going to remind you of what you're not yet in Jesus. There is a time for that truth. The goal of what Paul speaks of here when he says speaking truth to one another is also the exhortation to remind people that in Christ we can be what we are not yet in him. We are all, this is the point of being in community. It's sort of what I said last week about the trench in the bag. It is very easy to point out where people are not in Jesus when you are not in relationship with them. But it is much harder when you are in a life trench with them or in the bag of, of community rocks where God is constantly shaking us and, and roughing the edges off of us. Right? He's making us smooth. When you live in another person's life, what you'll find is that judgment and arrogance start turning into sympathy and empathy. Because you realize, man, I'm a human too, and I got just as many rough edges in my life. They might look different than yours, but, but they are no less destructive in what they will cut if God does not soften them. We are on a journey with each other. And we must commit our hearts to be a learner and lover of Jesus' truth in every area of life if we want to arrive at the destination. This is a long-term process, and I, I really want to say this. It is a lifelong journey. It is a forever thing. But it's one worth pursuing because so much is at stake here when it comes to our lives and the lives of others. When it comes to valuing one another, caring for one another, and speaking truth to one another, we're either going to be a part of the growing problem of confusing ourselves and others about who Jesus is because we don't know his truth, we're not personally committed to it, or we're going to clarify the misdirections in our own heart and lead others to Jesus' truth because we personally pursue and dwell in it ourselves. It's the same thing as the trench. When you're in Jesus' truth, you find that it applies to your own life also. And it is only then, only then that we earn the right to speak the truth into another person's life on behalf of Christ. You have to know truth and be in somebody's life to speak it. Those are the prerequisites. It is only then that we're going to be humble enough to invite another person to speak God's truth into our own lives on behalf of Christ. Remember, sermons like this, and I know because I wrote it, it's very easy to think, who am I going to speak truth into? Super important question. But you have to remember the other side of that equation is God has at least several other people whom he would like you to invite to speak truth into your own life. It's not just you being like a truth dispenser. It's also you being a truth receptacle. And in that, that crucible is where, the, is where true community is birthed. It's where true sanctification, our understanding and growth in, in Jesus is, is birthed. But you only earn that right when you know truth and are comfortable enough with sharing it with other people on behalf of Jesus. And that is important to know. Because you can't embrace what I'm going to say. The second thing we'll briefly look at this morning. You will never embrace what I'm about to say unless you embrace what I just said. You will never value speaking and hearing truth from other people if you don't value truth in your own life first. Jesus is truth. This leads me to the second rhythm I want to speak about this morning. First mark, a mark that you value others is that you value them enough to know Jesus is truth. The second mark I want to share with you today is that you value others in your life, a mark that you value others in your life is when you know God's truth and are comfortable with speaking it to others in love. Now, 
this is a, a, an experience, so I realize it, it's probably more just in my worldview, but I think this is sort of a, uh, a common reality that over the years, I would say that in, in, I've been pastoring now just shy of 20 years, just shy of that. And in the last 20 years, I would say there has been a cataclysmic shift in these two statements. When I first became a Christian at tw in my early 20s, um, I was in a circle. This is both pastorally and j j as far as being in a church and seeing the way people led churches. This is cross-denomination. We rub shoulders with a lot of people. Um, it was interesting seeing that there was a very, very, very uh, dominant streak of, of knowing truth. That was sort of the, oh, excuse me, of, of knowing truth and sharing it with people. Like, I think re the reality of our culture is that about 15 or 20 years ago, it was a much safer place in our world to claim what you knew about Jesus and to confidently share it with other people. That seemed to be more normal. Today, I would say this paradigm is reversed. We, we struggle with the fact now in our culture that you have a lot of people that don't know truth at all. And then we have many believers who know the truth and they are just completely afraid to share it with other people. And I'm not saying like, you know, unhealthily uh, sharing truth with people, bludgeoning them to death or hurting them. I'm saying what's happened is, is in them dwells the power of God to see men and women know Jesus. And we live in this world where we huddle up in truth holes and then are just fearful of taking what are God-given opportunities to share truth with people, to correct them in love, to say, hey, I know you think about it. I know you're thinking about life this way, but what about thinking about it this way? We, we just, there's, there's, that's just the reality of it right now is we have more truth than ever in our lives. I've shared this before, podcasts, sermons, videos, whatever it is. You can listen to my sermon and 50 others today. Truth is like, in the Christian world, it's everywhere. And I wonder if at times we've enculturated ourselves to hearing truth at the expense of sharing it. And so the reason I want this other point here today is that a mark of you really knowing the truth is when you know God's truth and are comfortable with speaking it to others in love. You engage on the relational level here. And what this means is we must learn to value people or value being a people who are comfortable confessing our sins and struggles to other folks. This is what I said last week. By sin and struggles, I don't mean like in, if you have a, depending on your religious background, if you have one at all, I'm not talking about like a confessional box. You know, we don't go into Theater 11 and do this. What I'm saying here is you, you have people in your life whom you can say, hey, Tuesday was really rough for me. Here's what's going on. Or you are the type of person with the character whom people can say that to you because they know when they come to you, you're going to encourage them. You're going to help them to, you're going to not just penalize the struggle, you're going to lead them out of the struggle, or at least do your best to, because you love them. Now listen, if you're wondering why I took some time to talk about truth this morning before talking about speaking truth to others, I want to tell you now. You and I will never know what to confess to Jesus. We're never going to know what true struggles are. We're never going to know what to say to each other. The lies we fall prey to in life that take us away from God, the things that devalue us, the struggles that rob us from experiencing the amazing journey of knowing and growing in Jesus, if we don't know God's truth. We are only capable of doing what I'm saying now if, if we do what I just said, what Paul says. We are only capable of knowing what a lie about our life is in this world because we have a truth standard to compare it to. And when we begin to know and value Jesus' truth in a church family that does the same, we're likely to be more comfortable with talking about this tension with each other. You're going to be okay with, with recognizing faults, with admitting them, with initiating your concern about faults in your life with other people, with recognizing you also have an immeasurable amount of strengths. I'm not trying to be overly pessimistic here, but God has wired into you things that are both strong and weak, because that's what it means to be human. And it's okay to be in a world where you can talk about both of those things. When you know people are in the same life trench with you, 
when you know they are in the same bag with you, based on the analogy we spoke about last week, when you know those people love you and are for you, you are going to be more inclined to see the value of sharing some of those struggles of your life with others. Listen, if you've never shared a struggle with somebody, you're not in the bag. I think that's what I want to say today. You, if you are not in a place where you have men and women who love Jesus, I'm not even saying lots of them, but maybe one or two that you can share struggle with, it is worth asking whether or not you are really in the bag of Christian community. When it comes to our life on earth in Christ, I want to share a sobering and humbling truth with you all. And this is how all the truths in Christianity are. They're sort of really hard to digest until you recognize the grace measure in them. It's sort of like a hard candy, like a, a lemon head. It's really tart at first, but then it gets super sweet in the middle if you can endure the, the, the sour nature of the citrus. I want to share a sobering and humbling truth with you all. That much like the rest of Jesus' truth will either offend you or free you. That's what most of these things do in a way you've never experienced before. When it comes to our lives, it is well worth knowing that we all have messiness in us. We all have spaces that are in need of some support, repair, maybe even total correction according to the truth of God. And while we can walk around in this life burying that stuff, which is sort of a common encouragement we get today, we are told to hide this stuff. You want to know why there's a whole new industry around counseling and life coaching and consulting? It's because what's happening is people have buried this stuff for several decades, and it's all surfacing. At some point, it starts coming out, starts seeping out of the cracks. We can walk around acting like we don't have these challenges and consequently stifling our ability to grow in Jesus' truth, helping others to do the same. But I would say it's much better for us to just own this reality and ask God to set us free from it, to recognize we are built with both strength and weakness, and both of those are tools God can, will, and desires to use to help us become more like him. Now, here's sort of how we'll start wrapping up this morning. Maybe you're here saying, man, this is my first time here today. Or I've been here for a while. Like, and I've never had a cup of coffee with you or talked to somebody in a meaningful relation way in this church. How does this guy know that I have some messiness in my life? You don't even know me, fool, right? Well, here's how. Here's how I can say this. God's truth has told me so. In Romans 3.23, I want to read it to you. There we read, Apostle Paul again, For all people, all of us, have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That verse includes you. It includes me. It includes, it includes everyone sitting to the left and the right of you. It includes everybody on a road or a plane right now going on vacation. Anybody coming home from vacation in our church. It includes the whole city of Port Orange, the state of Florida, North America, our continent, and the rest of the globe. The word all means all people, past, present, and future, have fallen short of God's true standards. Now, this I'm saying this because I, I think this is where an objective truth begins to define our reality. You have to know this truth in Romans before you can actually recognize the grace this truth is meant to convey to us. This is a two-sided truth coin that highlights the fact of uh, one of the reasons why we need community. God says, I have a truth, and a lot of people really have a hard time living in it. And that's why I'm going to put people in your life to help you live in it with each other, right? Truth, the, the bitterness, if you will, begets a, a soft and sweet truth. And that soft and sweet truth continues in Romans 3, 23, uh, 23, uh, 24, and 25. This is a two-sided coin. In Romans, Paul explicitly tells us God has a standard for the world that none of us can have or will, or will ever live up to. The first side of the coin is a stark reminder of why we need to be comfortable knowing and speaking the truth to each other. Paul just essentially served us a supersized portion of humble pie. And he says this, I think it's pretty fair to say that to a certain degree, he says this to us and to himself so that we will feel a little inadequate when we first read it. It is a reminder of the fact that we all fail God and each other at times. But what I love about truth, especially scriptural truth, is that 
Truth is never left on the bitter, the bitter note. That's not where Paul ends this verse, nor is it where I will end my message today. He goes on to say in Romans 3, 24 through 25, and, there we go, key word or but, those are super important words in Paul's writing. They signify a major transition. He basically says, all of us fall short of God's glory and all are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement through the shedding of his blood to be received by faith. He says, here's the problem, but also here's the solution. On the other side of the coin, Paul proclaims the seemingly contradictory truth of the gospel. On your own and in your own strength, you are not good enough, neither am I. You cannot do it alone, and neither can I. You need Jesus, and so do I. When we receive Jesus, simply because of his love for us, that's where it begins, and our faith in who he is and what he has done for us, something amazing happens. God takes Romans 3.23 and moves us into Romans 3.24-25. God takes that which is not and can never be good enough, and he makes it more than good enough. God takes every deficiency we have, every fault, every failure, and he makes us whole again. First through his blood, then through the relationships we have with each other. Through Jesus' blood, Jesus makes it right, and then we will flesh out what making it right means for the rest of our days with each other. God, through his cross and his people, takes that which is broken and messy, and he begins to redeem it and restore it. And that's the truth of the gospel. You are freely justified from the moment you believe in Christ. But you will spend the rest of your days working out what that justification means, what it looks like in your own life. For example, you might be really anxious or angry or bitter or frustrated. Or you might be suffering with an addiction or a problem. Jesus justifies that. He makes it right. But then he says, you have to know it's going to be really hard to live in that truth unless you're living it with other people who I've done the same thing to. I've made them right in me, but they got a lot of work to do in fleshing this stuff out in their world, and they are not meant to do it alone. That is the truth of the gospel. It is, a, it is a project, and I mean it in the healthy way, not in the derogatory way. It is a project. Your redemption, my redemption, is a project Jesus began in our lives. But it was never meant to be disconnected from other people in meaningful ways. Because remember, he's redeemed all of our brothers and sisters in Jesus in the same way. And so you see in Romans, Paul talks about what Jesus did for us to help us become more like Jesus and live in God's good soil. But in Ephesians, he does something else. He basically says, uh, I want to share with you now why God has set you apart for each other. Romans says, Jesus did this for you. Ephesians says, now you do this for each other. You speak truth truth to each other in love. What God has placed in your heart through through his son, he says, you now need to speak that to other people so they can know and grow in the grace and favor of, of God's son. In other words, when you feel the love of Jesus, when you know it, the true love of Jesus, the one that died for you, you should want to share that with other people. And what you're going to find out is that you're, you're likely going to see those people somewhat compelled to explore his truth more deeply. Not all of them, but a great many of them will be intrigued. They will want to know things. They will have questions simply because you now speak the truth and you are also a part of the process. You speak his truth more deeply to other people. They want to know his truth because of who you are and because of, of the truth of Jesus Christ. You're a part of the process. Now, here's how we'll wrap up this morning. It's a quick warning about this before we close. When Paul says, speak the truth in love, what this means, notice he doesn't just say, speak the truth. That's, that's a problem. The truth is meant to be qualified by a posture of our heart. When Paul says, speak the truth in love, what he means is that if your knowledge of truth is ever spoken without a Christ-like love for others, if your knowledge of truth supersedes your 
fervor for people to know Jesus' truth. You know, when we're young, we sort of have fervor without knowledge. And as we get older, we tend to have lots of knowledge without fervor. That's sort of a, that's sort of a colloquial wisdom you can apply to life. This is very true. If we have great knowledge, but no love or burden for others, or we have great knowledge and we speak it without love and care, then what this means is our life in Jesus is deeply out of order. Deeply out of order. While we know the truth of Jesus' gospel can be offensive to some people because it deeply and profoundly challenges us at the core of who we are, we have to remember that we should never want to become intentionally or just kind of in a, in a benevolently passive way the type of person who believes we are permitted by God to speak truth without love, to speak truth without compassion for those we speak it to. We should never want to win arguments at the expense of losing relationships. This just isn't the case, at least based on our posture. It's very likely when you speak truth, you might lose relationships. But my point is, you want to make sure that it is the gospel in that moment, the profound truth of Jesus' words that challenge the heart, not, not, not an unhealthy posture. People perceive a lack of love from us. That is a different way to lose a relationship, and it's not a good one. We've got to take to heart the words of Jesus when he says he gave us to each other, the church family, to be a safe place for us to heal and grow, to fully explore and become who God has designed us to be. And we're only going to get to that place when we first offer ourselves to Jesus by asking for that Romans type of forgiveness and to each other by living out this Ephesians speaking to truth in love relationship with each other. There is a time and likely going to be many times where God wants you and I to say things to people because of our love for Christ and them. And the way you could do that, the way you could put yourself in a space here that really accelerates this reality is by getting engaged in a community group. It's by plugging into worshiping with us regularly. It's by finding an individual, a congregant, a person you trust, uh, who, who you know loves Jesus, whom you say, I see them and I know they, they love Jesus. At least I believe they do. And I want to explore what it would mean to have that person in my life. And if you're here and you're a person that says, I'm exemplary in my love for Jesus, your question is, do you now, do, do you have people in your life? I mean, in your life. I'm not just saying like once a month. But you have people in your life who you love with the spirit and the grace of Jesus. Imagine if I said to you, Jesus loves you, but once a month, you would be like, I'm out. Where's the Mormon church, right? That would not be the kind of relational availability we would strive to. That's not how Jesus is with us. And I recognize we can't love others perfectly like Jesus. But I am saying, are you the type of person who is engaged in life? This is a mark of your knowledge of truth. Do you have people you can pray for? People who ask you to pray for them. That goes both ways. Available enough to pray for another, humble enough to be prayed for by another. Because remember, the Christian journey is not a solo journey. So find a brother or sister in Christ to share your life with. Let them speak truth and grace into your life. Engage in his mission. Speak truth to those without the grace of Jesus. Serve them and care for them. Commit to do this. As we close and move to the communion table, remember, God desires that we be the type of people who respond with truth, love, grace, and support to those who invite us into their lives on their journey with Jesus. When somebody has the humility to come to you and say, I'm struggling with this, please be Jesus to them. When they do come up to you, or when you are humble enough to go up to another person, and, and you are you know, humble enough to take a step to be transparent, or then with you, remember, you must respond to them like Jesus would with the grace and the truth of Christ and the support of a friend. Live knowing that you and that other person deeply matter to Christ. If you know somebody matters to Jesus like you matter to Jesus, that's going to shape the way you treat them. Because if you truly want to be more like Jesus and live in his good soil, then you must truly embrace and live in one of the greatest gifts he's given you to accomplish that. And that is just, frankly, each other. That's us. 
a relationship with each other. It's a church family built on the foundation of the cross by his blood. We said that already. It is united. Our relationships united past, present, and future by his blood. The communion table will show it this. And as we move to communion this morning, I really want you to let these questions guide what you contemplate as you take communion, what you contemplate about your life and heart. What is Jesus saying to you about your life in his church? And please hear me. When I say church, I mean the people of God. I mean our church here, but I also mean the, the people of God, like the people not in this room right now, or the people who are yet to be in this room. What do you think about other people when you think of your faith in Jesus Christ? And just as importantly, if God leads you to do something differently today, what is it that you will do about it?